I want to say before we turn to the Word and we pray, you might already notice my voice is a little hoarse this morning, and just to alleviate any fears you may have, it's not because of COVID or anything like that. Last night, I was playing with our kiddos, and I was trying to scare them, and I jumped out, and I went, wow, you know, and so now I have a hoarse voice, so... So, fantastic, you know, amazing story, but that's why I've got a horse horse this morning. So, um, Lord willing, by his grace, we'll make it through this sermon as well, completely with a strong voice um, as well. So, um, wanted to tell you that, and now let's go to the Lord and let's pray together. Father, we come this morning and we come dependent on you. How often we feel the depths of our weaknesses. How daily they just can overwhelm us. Show us how needy we are, how weak we are. But Lord, we come this morning not as those who have everything together, but we come as those who need you, who live a life that we're made, we, each of us recognizing that we are made for you. We come as those who admit that we are sinners and we're only saved because of Christ. Amen. So just pray, Father, that if there's any self-righteousness here this morning in our hearts, You would help us, Lord, to not lean on ourselves and cease leaning on ourselves and just wholly rest upon Christ. What rest there is in Him. And so we come to You who is worthy of all of our trust, all of our faith. And so help us, Lord, to see and to come to you, the God who is faithful, who you have shown again and again that you are faithful to do all that you have said and all that you have given in your word, all your promises. And so help us to recognize that you are the faithful God before whom we come this morning. And so may you help us, Lord, to trust in you with our whole hearts, that we believe and that we would lean on Christ this morning. Help us to draw near this morning by faith. And so we look to you and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you would, go ahead and turn your Bibles to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 12. We'll be in verses 36 through 50 this morning. So John chapter 12, verses 36 through 50. So what would you do if God spoke to you? You know, and he spoke to you with an audible voice. So there you are, you know, sitting at home or, you know, perhaps you're praying. Perhaps you're not praying. Maybe you're, maybe you're bowed down before him and you're seeking his face. Or maybe you're not. You're just going about your day. And then God speaks 
audibly, you hear him, and he's talking to you. And he tells you this. He tells you that he is calling you to preach his word. And he tells you to go and tell America his message. And maybe you're afraid. You know, maybe, maybe you're grateful. You're thinking, you know, I, I kind of thought that there was something I was waiting for that God has for me. And now here it is. Or maybe you're thinking, you know, yes, God, he has called me to this task. But then God goes on. I want you to go and preach and no one will listen. No one will believe. No one will respond. The message that he would give you would be rejected and so would you. How would you respond? Well, this morning, we'll see someone who did just that. He was commissioned, he preached, and no one believed. (laughs) So let's turn to our passage here and see this, and see the nature of unbelief as well this morning. So may God... Bless the reading of his authoritative word. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, Many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority. But the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So this passage is a pivotal passage in the gospel of John 
this passage, it brings kind of a, a shift in the gospel. And so these, these verses, they're actually closing the book on Jesus' public ministry. And so from here on, from chapters 13 through 17, the focus, it will turn away from the crowds. It will turn away from the religious leaders. It will turn away from the people to focus on Jesus and his disciples. You can see that just flipping through your Bible. You'll see that. That's exactly what happens ahead. And so this makes what is said here in these verses, not just what Jesus says, but even verses 36 into all of our verses here and through 50, it makes all of this has come with a great deal of weight. It begins, you know, simply with Jesus withdrawing and, and then he, he goes on here to address unbelief. Now, if you've been here watching and, and being you know, watching and walking through the Gospel of John, you know that's not a surprise. We've, we've found this again and again in the Gospel of John, right? And that's interesting for a Gospel focused on faith, on believing and urging all people to believe in Christ. We have seen a great deal of unbelief in this Gospel so far. In fact, again and again and again, you know. And we see in that how honest the Bible is. It's not hiding away. Well, you see how many people, you know, turn to Christ today, you know. It's telling us as it is, this is what really happened. And so we see it addresses unbelief. But more specifically, we see unbelief that would put Jesus on the cross. Unbelief that would put Jesus on the cross. So Jesus, he had done sign after sign. You know, miracle after miracle. And in John, we've we've seen that. We've seen him do that. We've seen him turn water into wine. We've seen him heal people, even someone who was born blind. We've seen him walk on water. I mean, incredible. And we've seen him feed the 5,000. Or if you remember back in John 6, feeding of the, what, 20,000 people. And we saw him just very recently raise Lazarus from the dead. Incredible thing. Don't become accustomed to that. You've heard the stories perhaps a million times if you've grown up in church. But don't become accustomed to that. They are incredible things that Christ has done. And he's done even more than that. We see in the other Gospels that he's done even more miracles than just those. And even besides what's in the Gospels, he did more miracles than just was written in those. That we haven't read of. He's done many, many miracles. And all these miracles are signs. They were given kind of as these massive billboards, you know, that the bright kind of blinking ones with the arrows pointing, they're all kind of pointing at him, you know, all saying, you need this person, you need Jesus Christ. Again and again, that's what they're doing. Yet sadly, we see 
They refused to believe. They refused to believe. And so we have these unhappy words in verse 37. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. They consciously and intentionally don't and won't believe. You know, as I, as I look back on my own life and think about, you know, how I was before, you know, I came to faith in Christ. I mean, you would have, you would have seen that. You would have seen that in me, you know. <laughs> A refusal to believe. You may even have seen me, like if you saw me today, you'll be like, that guy, there's no way you know, he's going to come to faith in Christ. You know, and, and sure, every so often I, I went to church and heard the Bible preached. And sure, I heard, I had some people, you know, even come to my house and try to share the gospel with me. And I'm just looking them in the eyes and thinking, I don't care what you have to say, you know. Get out of here. Get out of my face. I don't want to hear what, anything you're telling me right now. And sure, I had even been given a Bible and bought a Bible, yet I could care less about it. I would not believe. I refuse to believe. Yet, for me, it's different. I did eventually believe. Praise God, you know. After great unbelief, by the grace of God, I trusted Christ. And I put my whole faith in Him. And He saved me. Even after all of that you just heard, He, he saved me by his, his mercy and His grace. He didn't have to. I didn't deserve it. I still don't deserve it. I still am not earning it. It was all by grace. But these don't, at least as far as we know, they don't ever believe. And so we're, we're told here that the Jews' unbelief, it comes and it, it providentially it comes and fulfills Scripture. And not just any Scripture, but it comes and fulfills a passage you'll know well if you've grown up in church Isaiah 53. That's where this first passage is from, is Isaiah 53, 1. And who does that speak of? It speaks of who? The suffering servant. And who is that suffering servant? It's Jesus. That's right. It's Christ. And it asks, who has believed after having seen the arm of the Lord, after having seen Christ's signs or miracles, at least in this context, that's what it's referring to, having, who has believed in the implied answer in both Isaiah 53, 1 and here is no one. They haven't believed. They should, but they have refused. And they are accountable for their refusal. Now in this, and what lies ahead, 
we have a challenging point, and we see a challenging point here. So for warning, this will press upon you to believe your Bible as it, as it is and in what it says, and this is the challenging point. God planned their unbelief. God planned their unbelief. Now, I'm sure I gave you a moment there to let that sink in. Now, I get it. This is a hard point to wrap our minds around. Even a hard point to accept, depending on your view of God's sovereignty. However, regardless of that, we have this passage. We have these words from verse 39. Therefore, they could not believe And John, he is showing us this. He is indicting and he's explaining the Jews' unbelief. And so to show this, he quotes these two passages from Isaiah. And so in Isaiah 53.1, he is showing the human responsibility of the Jews in their refusal to believe in Christ. He's showing that they are responsible for their unbelief and God planned their unbelief for his purposes. And this is why Isaiah 53.1 is fulfilled here. You see how they're not believing? That's fulfilling what God said in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 1. And the point it's making is important. It's saying God planned their unbelief such that Isaiah 53 could happen. Their unbelief would be God's sovereign catalyst for putting Jesus on the cross. So in other words, no unbelief, no cross. And how important is it that Jesus died on the cross? The difference between eternal life and eternal hell. God sovereignly orchestrating empires, kingdoms, kings, and all of history. Bringing it about that at this time, in this place, Jesus would be born in the flesh. And he would come to save us from our sins. So we then... We have a second scripture which explains their unbelief. So Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10. And it says literally this, God has blinded their eyes. God has hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. So you see it? You see the, how it's directly saying it unashamed? And that's why I kind of press on you to just say and kind of just stand on the fact that I'm going to believe what it says. And so even as we see that and even in saying that, we see that in some way 
hearing the preaching of Isaiah and seeing Jesus and his miracles were further agents as well of the hardening. Isaiah's preaching and Jesus' miracles would further harden the hearts rather than lead them to believe. They see the miracles and it's creating this kind of hardness. They hear the preaching and it's hardening them more to Jesus. You know, I think of even just practically in my own life. I remember, you know, after a while, after having not gone to church for a good amount of time, I went to church one Sunday prior to being a believer. And I just remember going in and being angry the whole time I was there. The preacher, he preached whatever he preached. And it just made me more angry, made my heart harder. And when he tried to shake my hand at the end, I got all the harder, you know. And so this is the kind of thing that was happening as well with Jesus' miracles. Kind of this hardening effect. They hear it and no. And so we see the order here. They refused. They're responsible. Such that many of the Jews, they see Jesus and they see his signs and they say... No way, I'm not believing it. I'm not putting my faith in Christ. So that was their response. And God, he planned their unbelief. So both. And so we see this same kind of picture in other places in Scripture. We see it, we see it in the book of Exodus. And you probably have in mind where I'm going with this. Who do we see it with? With Pharaoh, right? We see both. God hardening Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh hardening his own heart. So both. And there's no like, the Bible's not like, oh no, that's attention. It's saying these are both true. So all this, like in Exodus, God doing all of that so that in God's redemptive plan, he would sovereignly do what? He would bring his people out of Egypt and redeem them. And here also, all this, their unbelief, their hardening to bring the nations out of their bondage to sin, that they might find redemption through Christ. So we've already seen it in our Bibles, and now God is saying, here is the Christ, the Savior, and I'm doing it again for my glory. And for your good and your salvation. And so even as we see all this, we don't see something entirely new here in the Gospel of John either. We see our our desperate need for new life, to be born again, to be born from above. We've already heard that. We heard it back in John chapter 3, before what Dennis wrote. We saw that with Nicodemus, he read Nicodemus and Jesus. You must be born from above. And so also we see this as well in John 6, 63 through 65, where Jesus, he is again explaining their unbelief. And he said, there it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. 
Just remember that as a believer. If you're relying on your flesh, stop it. You need God. You need His Spirit. So it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe. And who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So what... In light of all that, what should be our response to that? Well, first, we need to come under this mystery. Come under this mystery. This means seeing this and saying, this is what God's word says. I believe it. Do I understand it all? No. (laughs) Is it what scripture says? Yes. So we we can have completely human responsibility in God's sovereignty without conflict. And so we just say, yes, I see it. I believe it. It's what my Bible says. It's what the Gospel of John has been saying again and again. So that's the first response. The second response is we should be amazed by God's grace. We should be amazed by God's grace. And the reason you became a believer is because of grace. And this does not minimize God's love. It magnifies God's love. If not for God's grace, none of us would have hope. And so it is that Ephesians 2, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then rightly so, we have a third response to that. Rejoice. Rejoice. Through His sovereign plans, He would redeem us and bring redemption to you. The fact that you are here is a reason to rejoice and to see how he has worked and brought it about that you would come to Christ and you would be here. Trusting and entrusting yourself to him. So we come back to the reality of why Christ was sent For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So this very gospel is evidence of God's great incomparable love for us. Christ dying, Christ being buried, Christ being raised. So see his love You being a believer at this very moment, see his love and rejoice. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. And we see the mystery, the 
partial hardening of Israel that Paul, he talks about in Romans 11. And our response is to be the same of Paul at the end of Romans chapter 11 in view of all of these things. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So our right response is to rejoice. Thank you, Lord, for having mercy on anyone. Because you did not have to. You could have said no more right there in Genesis chapter 3. And it would have been completely right, completely just, completely upholding your holiness. But he didn't. And so we say, how great thou art. How great thou art. And as we look on in these verses that continue, we have both this this wonderful statement in verse 41, yet a somewhat kind of quizzical statement in verses 42 through 43. We're taken together. We have this point. Belief is called to confess him. Belief is called to confess him. And so there are, there are two contrasting kind of actions that we see here in these verses, verses 41 through 43. One from Isaiah and one from the authorities. And so the first is this. Isaiah saw his glory and confessed him. And confessed him. I need water. Sorry. (laughs) Got to keep drinking. And so that brings us back to Isaiah chapter 6. There we see the prophet. And the prophet, he encounters the holy, the mighty, and the sovereign God. And it's, it's so important when we read Isaiah's encounter with God here. Or in Isaiah chapter 6, it says, in verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Praise God. Amen. 
And the glory that Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6 is the glory of the Son. Verse 41. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Christ. And how does he respond? At beholding this glory. Well, God, he asks him, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then he said, here I am, send me. And that message you're going to have, no one's going to listen to you. (laughs) No one's going to believe. No one's going to respond. Send me to do that. (laughs) So how would you respond? Well, he did. He said yes. He heard the voice of God and he did it. He went and he confessed and he proclaimed and he heralded all of God's word while he already knew they would not believe it. He loved the glory of God more than the glory that comes from man. They're not going to give me any glory for this. In fact, they're going to hate me for preaching this to them. I want the glory that comes from Him. Not the glory that comes from them. Amen. However, that's the one response. And then we have the second. And this is not how the authorities respond. The authorities, they believe and they don't confess Him. Now, honestly, I'm not sure if these authorities really have believed here or not. I mean, I think we have a lot of instances in Scripture, in John, I mean, specifically, to wonder, but we're not told here. But either way, whether they did or didn't, we see the contrast between their response and Isaiah's response, which we're intended to see. And we see what they're doing is not what we are to do. It is not good. They love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And there is immense danger here. I mean, loving the glory of men and out of fear of men going and then not speaking. Or even on another kind of side of that, out of fear speaking, but not because you're confessing Christ, but because you're protecting yourself and all of your idols. You're protecting your ways and, and everyone else's ways. And you don't want to feel the recompense from others because of it. So either way, the aim isn't God's glory. Aimed at pleasing people. And so we are having set before us instead that we are to be like Isaiah 
We are to love and live for the glory that comes from God. We are to be ready servants of God. Here I am, Lord, even if it means an Isaiah kind of ministry. No one's going to listen. I might even have to just go this alone. No one's going to go with me. I'm just going to do this by myself. I'll continue to preach your word faithfully. And I'll even say, here I am, send me. It's aiming your heart not at the praises or honor that may come temporarily from others, but aiming your heart at God and at His will, even if that means preaching again and again and no one believes. So I kind of feel like we're like that in America right now. I mean, there are people believing all over the place in America, so don't get me wrong there. think the broad thrust of America no I want my way Amen. so we are called to live lives by faith even then even if it means I preach and no one listens I preach and I go alone. I have to declare Christ. Even still. So after all of this, we then come by no accident to these final verses. So we've seen the unbelief. We've seen beliefs called to confess Christ. And now here, even after even after the emphasis on unbelief, we have this final public call to faith. So we have Jesus' last public plea in verses 44 through 50. So his words here, they are the culmination of things that we've already seen again and again in the Gospel of John. So if this, if this were a movie... You would be, right now, if you're watching it, you would be hearing kind of this dramatic music kind of going, kind of rising in the background as Jesus, he comes and arises to give this plea, music, to make you feel the intensity of his words, their urgency, his love, words that would provide both a period and an exclamation mark to the end of his public Ministry. He arises, and this would be, if you've been walking with us on Wednesdays through the book of Proverbs, this would be wisdom's call. Here is wisdom personified who rises up and cries out If you believe and see the Son, you believe. And see the Father also. Jesus is the revelation of the Father. Such that when you see Jesus. You aren't literally seeing the image of the Father. But you are seeing in Jesus 
everything that the Father has told him and everything that the Father would have him to say. That means you will not need go anywhere else besides this triune God. There is no other God in the world except for Him. You want to know what God says? Listen to Jesus. Not to Muhammad or Allah or you know Hinduism and, and all these other religions and, and so on. You hear God when you hear Christ. Amen. So he's crying out publicly, urgently. And so if you hear and don't believe, you don't keep his word, and that word is that word that calls you to put your faith in him, if you don't believe, his word will stand against you. Verses 47 through 48. So you are accountable for not believing. They are accountable for not believing. And the weight of your unbelief, all of it, falls at your feet. And His judgment is right. So, as we have this final public plea, hear His plea. Hear His plea. This is the vital moment. This is his final plea. None of us are guaranteed our next hour or day. The steadiness, the rhythm of our days, the weeks, months, and years that have gone by. Don't let them fool you or lull you into a spiritual slumber. Especially if you've grown up in church. I just talked to someone this week who lives in this area and it's like, yeah, the people here, I mean, they're so used to Christianity, they don't even, they don't even think it like means much to them anymore. We can just, we can just grow up and be in all this and just the urgency, the reality of God and His glory and His greatness and Christ and who he is and what he's done for us, it just falls and it's like, yeah, I've heard that before. And that Isaiah kind of ministry is impossible with us because we would only go forward if it means that same kind of comfort, that same kind of lull yourself to sleep kind of spirituality. So I want to urge you and just. <laughs> exemplify the urgency of Jesus' plea that we're seeing here and just say that your hour may be this very day and what will you say to him? Will you say, I trusted in myself? I heard your word and I refused it? Or will you say, I have no righteousness of my own. It is only Christ and Christ alone. 
He is the one in whom I hope. If, if He is not mine, then I am not yours. And so hear the urgency of it and feel the weight of this entire gospel coming up to this very point. And hear it, believe it, and look to Christ. So mysteries and all, love not the glory that comes from men. Listen, believe, and gladly and boldly confess Christ. Let's pray. Father, I realize that this passage has many just challenging things for us. Things that challenge us and and just our understanding of so many things. Of your sovereignty, of human responsibility. Father, as we come... Help us to to hear it, to believe it, receive it, and to say, yes, I will be like Isaiah. I will not love the glory of men more than the glory that comes from God. Help us, Lord, just each of us right now, whatever it may look like, we would say in our seats or wherever we are, Here I am, Lord, send me. If it means that kind of ministry, I'm still ready to go. And so help us, Father. Help us to not be lulled into spiritual sleep, but help us awake and even awaken us May we boldly confess Christ and live for him. If there's anyone here or online who doesn't know you, I just pray even that they would hear the plea of Christ this morning, that they would believe and they would find joy everlasting. They would find rest for their souls. They would come to him who's ready to bear their heavy burdens that they're bearing and he says come to me all who are weary and heavy laden I will give you rest and so father we pray for them that they would look to Christ and be saved and so father we pray for your hand on us help us Lord each of us we ask in Jesus name amen